Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Filling in for Darren, the amazing Anne Bonnie. And what are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about messing up, Dave. I feel like you'd be kind of an expert on that topic. Wow. Thanks for calling me out on that. That a whole world to see. Now, now my perfection bubble or whatever you want to call that, that facade of perfection that I'm sure everybody had that perception of me. Gone. Boop. Bursted. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> it was just that one time, though. And it was a long time ago. And you thought you were wrong, but you were actually mistaken. Well, often <laughs> wrong, but never in doubt. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You went through it confidently. <laughs> it's, it's so funny you say You sound like you've been eavesdropping on my older brothers and my conversation for 60 years. Well, probably 59 years, because I didn't speak for the first year. Yeah. It's the sibling pointing out the difficulty. Yes. I feel kind of like you're my brother. Well, I, I met you like my long lost sister. Um, actually, now that I think it's my habit, child out of wedlock with me and for, oh, there's your picture. What happened to you? I was, ju- you were getting is- blotchy. So I figured I'd turn off my camera and I, maybe I'd be able to hear you better. Ah, yeah, did, I did get a brief internet connection unstable. So folks, if I sounded like I was underwater, it's because I was. <laughs> but but anyway, I do have a, a, a half sister out there I've never met. Maybe it is you. Maybe I'm the other half. Which half was have, it? You, what do you mean, what half? My left, <laughs> well, you said my you had half, half a sister. My left half. Oh, well, then I'm on the right half. Because <laughs> I left her. And I'm the right one. But oh, ah. You know, jokes keep you know, coming, folks. You're not originally from Fort Sill, Oklahoma, are you? Never even been to Oklahoma in my whole life. All right, good. It's not you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't that have been weird? I found my brother on a podcast. All right, we've completely gone off topic. We've messed <laughs> this one up big time. I think we need to start this one over again. <laughs> hey, no, but we're talking about messing up, right? Yeah. Well, there you go. So how do you do it? So, I mean, we're trying to talk to people about how they persuade others to their perspective, whether it's that their product is the right product or, or, or their idea is the right idea or whatever it might be. The change is the right change, you know, and you screw up. Doesn't that weaken your cause? Well, it depends. The way I see it, it may weaken your cause with that person, but if you learn from it and you're able to say, okay, that didn't go well, they're not going to hire me and I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to be able to work with them again, but I can say, all right, what happened? What did I do wrong? What did I, what am I, what do I want to do differently? And what do I want to take away from this into the next sales call so that hopefully I can bring them around to my side? Do you see it in a different way? Well, certainly, I think everything that happens to us is an opportunity to improve and learn, right? The, the, the universe gives us 
the lessons we need exactly when we need them. And certainly that is one perspective. And, and, and this was a great opportunity to gain something out of it. Or a great opportunity to think, I did nothing wrong and learned not a darn thing. But well, I'm laughing, you're laughing. One of us was laughing. I can't even tell when it's me or you. We're twins. Uh, scary. Twins with twins who look nothing. So we're fraternal twins from different parents. Right. That's exactly it. Born on different days. Like 12 years apart. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it was a long labor. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, somebody's going to have to work hard to get through this podcast and actually get something positive out of it. But let's I know, see. If we they're going to be like, what? Yeah, I hope they're not the first listeners. They're going to be like, what's with these two? Yeah. Yeah. And if that is, you go back to listen to the other podcasts and then and come back to, and, and hear this one. Then you'll like um, us and think we're fun. Anyway, go ahead. Right. Dave. My wife and I are, are, are huge um, uh, food TV. We're food junkies. You know, we survive off food. We need it every day. But but we're also foodies. We, we enjoy watching, you know, the Food Network and all the restaurant rescue shows and and you know, we're, we're binge watching. Well, not binge because we, we do one show a day, but we went back to season one, episode one of, of Kitchen Nightmares, Gordon Ramsay's uh, first, well, not his first, I guess he had some in Europe, but first US rescue show. And every one of these owners slash chefs, it's like, I don't get this. It's like my restaurant's failing. I'm losing thousands of dollars a nanosecond. I'm hiring this world-famous chef who has 21 restaurants around the world, Michelin stars. I don't know how many Michelin stars between all his restaurants he has. You know, he is acclaimed as one of the greatest chefs alive today, probably second to Chef Boyardee. And, you know. And he calls himself a foodie. Yeah. Well, I know my food. But uh, <laughs> and, and, can. <laughs> and what do they do? They go, you're nuts if you think my lousy food that no customer ever comes back for is sucks. It's good food. It's like every time. Like, oh my God, do you learn nothing? Yep. And they keep losing thousands of nanoseconds. Well, and this is this is I'm doing a seminar on mental toughness coming up. And this is one of the characteristics of being able to say, okay, I messed that up. I'm not perfect. There are things that I mess up. It doesn't feel good. And let me use this to get stronger. And what blows my mind about those shows, Dave, is these people, you know, have Gordon Ramsay coming in to tell them how to run their restaurant and they're arguing with him. Oh no, that won't work. I don't like that. I'm like, what, what, what kind of arrogance is that? Right. Uh, absolutely. There's a whole nother side to this conversation though, that we haven't even touched on. Right. So, so there's one, can I learn the lesson? And, and I think anytime things, we should ask ourselves whether it goes right or wrong. What's the lesson here? Mm -hmm, right. But it's a lot more difficult to answer that question when things go right. Let's just be candid there, right? It's it's like it worked out. Yeah, I could have done a few things better, but good enough. Yeah, I had a friend of mine. He's a lawyer now, 20, 30 years now. But when he was in law school, um, he used to, their saying was hook equals JD, right? Hook meaning is what they call the C. So oh, if you got yeah. Cs, you got your, got your right? And it, the minimum wasn't good enough. It wouldn't be the minimum. Uh -huh. 
My ex-husband who went to VMI used to say 2-0 and go. There you go. Yeah. Which explains all those VMI people that I've met who are, (laughs) well, sorry, if you're from VMI, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, (laughs) great school, wonderful school. Um, So there's that lesson. How do we, what lesson do we take out of it personally? But I think admitting our mistakes is a powerful persuasion. Um, I I hate the word technique because it it sounds manipulative. And Mm -hmm. and that's not what I'm talking about. But a way of, and it it works on so many levels. I I tell, uh, in one of my keynotes, I tell an opening story. I won't go into it now, but it was, um, spoiler alert, it was a training mission that went awry. Because our brand new XO changed our SOP to something antiquated, hadn't been done since Korea. And we, we learned a lesson. The, the reason this particular tactic was changed was a lesson that he had to teach us. I don't know why, because we already knew it intellectually. And so we got our butts handed to us in this training fight um, really fast, really embarrassingly. And I remember we, we thought to ourselves, my pilot and I on the way back, like, oh, this is going to suck. He's going to be our new skipper in, you know, in a year. And this is the way he leads. He overrides us. And we walked into the ready room and the first words out of his mouth, he goes, well, I'm never going to do that. Didn't work out. Okay. That's the last time I'm going to override you guys. And from now on, you guys do the brief and I'm just going to sit back and do what you say. And I thought, well, when is there ever going to be a senior officer that's going to, you know, sit back? But he did. And today I think of him as the best commanding officer I've ever had because he was hands off and he did what he said he was going to do. The way he, I don't know that it was an actual mistake. Sometimes to this day, I'm like, did he plan this? Was this some object lesson that he said, okay, here's how I'm going to handle it. So I never have to do a briefing again and they won't rely on me. I don't know. I'm just saying I've actually reached out to him a few times and uh, he hasn't answered my question. (laughs) He may not even remember. Right. Well, and it's, it's interesting because you make an excellent point about being able to admit out loud, like being able to learn from mistakes is one thing, not quit, not get discouraged, keep moving forward. Awesome. Huge. But being able to admit it, especially to somebody who works for you or answers to you, Um, And especially when we're talking about persuasion in like a, I messed up on the first call with a possible client, you may not have the chance to recoup that. But in a long-term relationship that you're already having, like a leadership relationship, um, being able to admit that is so important. You know, so it does a few things for you. One, obviously it, it, it acknowledges your screw up that everybody already knows. Right, exactly. They're already talking to, about it around the water cooler. <laughs> right. But to me, almost at a more important level, you start, you're, we as leaders mirror the behavior we want. And so if I can admit my mistake as a leader, the likelihood of you as uh, a team member hiding a mistake decreases. Uh-huh. And if you don't hide it, we can fix it. But if you hide it, we can't fix it. And it becomes bigger and problem huge. Yeah, I, I, I frequently say it's it's like a small wound that festers, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you get a little cut and you don't do anything about it. But if you hide it and ignore it, it can turn into something bad and nasty. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, it's I tell a story a lot about when I went to work for Les Mills, which is a group exercise company, and I inherited a team of nine people, and I'm a connector. I connect with everybody, and I was connecting with my whole team, and everything was going great, except with Natalie. And Natalie was fantastic at her job. She'd been there the longest. She was an incredibly valuable team member. And during the first week, I was sitting, we had an open floor plan of desks, and I was sitting in that open floor plan. and. I was having a conversation with somebody I was about to hire and I was talking to her about how much we were going to pay her. And after I got on the phone, Natalie came up to my desk and said, can I talk to you in the conference room? And I was like, yeah, sure. What's up? And I go bouncing all cheerful into the conference room, close the door behind me. And she said, you know, I'm really uncomfortable that you just had that conversation in front of all of us. And my first thought in my brain was, I'm your new boss. What the hell are you talking to me for that for? And like, I go into defensive embarrassed mode. And then this little voice, thank God, before anything came out of my face, this little voice in my head said, hey, Anne, she's right. And I realized not only should I not have had that conversation in front of everybody, but I now had an opportunity with, to connect with Natalie. And I said, and, and I would never have thought about it had she not said something. And so I said, you know what, Natalie, you're right. I, I wouldn't even have thought about it. I've never worked in an open floor plan. So I really appreciate you saying something to me because I never even would have thought of it had you not said something, I'll definitely get a, conver a conference room next time. Our trust and respect skyrocketed. She and I ended up working together beautifully. She could bring me problems. I could take her problems. She knew I wouldn't blow up and we worked together beautifully. So it's not just you know, admitting that and sort of them seeing you as a human and all of that, but it's that ability to communicate that follows that that trust and that respect that comes from me saying, you know what, you're right. I was wrong. Thank right. you. Well, even you, you rewarded her for the courage to come to you. And I mean, that, that creates bonds, right? Cause it, 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 she, it took courage on her part. You're the unknown new boss and, and you know, thank God you're you. Cause somebody else would have handled that differently. Right. Yeah. And I didn't even realize at the time that I was handling it right. But that was that voice in my head that said, she's right. That I was like, okay, time to fess up to it. Yeah. Which is interesting. Cause that also goes back to our original point, which is you screwed up and you had an opportunity to learn from it. Now in this particular case, the universe worked through Natalie. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And you might, you weren't aware of your screw up. But wow, I mean, the, the hate and discontent talking about somebody's pay. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how that could have festered, just like the wound you were just talking about. If they had started behind and they had every right to. I was completely in the wrong. Um, so, yeah, it was a it was a great moment. Yeah, it's funny. I had um my when I was VP of the moving company. I was in a bullpen. They, they just the, the office. It was a new position that didn't exist. They made it for me and they didn't have an office. And I was fine with that because I was responsible for the people in the bullpen area. Mm -hmm. And you have to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Especially in a management role, you know, and that's one of the things that we learn as we become managers, because, you know, a frontline position versus a leadership position is a completely different skill set. And so as you're in a new leadership position, you need to be able to say, all right, where do I need to learn here? Where do I need it? So you're going to mess stuff up. 
And, you know, if you don't try, you won't, but then you won't succeed either. And so, yeah. And this even happens in in sales. And you, it's funny, well, in sales, you don't have that long-term relationship, but you might. And here's what I mean by that. So my second sales job, so I I would work for a telecom business company here after about uh, two years, I realized I wanted to move on and move to our direct competitor who was bigger. And they were part of a networking group. And I was brought in as what they call the associate member. So they have executives and an associate member of that group and to, to work that group. And right away, a woman in that group said, hey, you know, we need a new phone system. We scheduled an appointment to come and talk. Okay, because we did business with each other. We also referred other people, but you do business within the group as well. I completely blew off that appointment. I mean, I, I'm like, I don't, I, I couldn't to this day, I couldn't tell you how I missed it either. I, I didn't, I think I didn't look at my calendar that day for whatever reason, like instead of reviewing, what do I have today? I'm just like, oh, I got nothing today. I'm just I'm making cold calls, you know? And, and then I'm like, I can't remember if she called me or if I discovered it or how that came about, but I'm like, holy crap. You know, I mean, I didn't really know this woman. Picked up the phone. And I said, I am so sorry. And I didn't make an excuse. I just said, I screwed up. I didn't look at my calendar. I blew you off. My hunch is you, and I, this may not, probably not my exact words, but you know, my hunch is you probably don't want to meet. She said, yeah, I'll give you a second chance. Not only did I get the sale, we became fast friends and stayed friends for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, um, it, it, it was a good business relationship. Mm-hmm. And actually, she's the woman who ended up introducing me to Darren. Oh, yay. And I told you years, years later. So she ended up selling for a chamber of commerce and, and, and she used Darren to close me on joining the chamber of commerce. Nice. <laughs> she turned your tricks on you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so admitting your mistakes yeah. is huge. If for no other reason, it shows you have integrity. Yep. And like you said earlier, usually people know they're already thinking about it. They're already forming opinions about it. And if you have the courage to stand up and say, you know what, I messed up, you know, here's what I'm doing to fix it. Or, Hey, I would love to connect with you again, but I totally understand if, if, you know, you don't want to save any more time in your calendar for me. Um, Usually people will be like, okay, that's, that's cool. You do it two to three times that we got a problem. But if you learn from it and get better, having admitted it, tells people that you're able to do that, that you have a certain level of honesty and courage and integrity. Um, again, as long as you don't do it five, six, and seven and eight times. Yeah. And, <laughs> and two. frankly, two. Yeah. The, the, the second time you're kind of, you know, yeah. Yeah. You, you, this is a one strike game. Yeah. You're talking out of your trumpet then. Right. It's funny. It's like, I tell people all the time, it's like, how many strikes? When I used to teach customer service and, and I had this rule, and this was not based on any study, but it was sort of this rule, which is, you know, we start the, the highest level of satisfaction any customer ever has with you is the moment they buy from you. Mm-hmm. That decreases the moment you have your first customer service issue. What do I mean by customer service issue? I don't know. It's something that requires some, there's some miscommunication. Mm -hmm. How much does it decrease? I don't know. 
but it decreases some small amount. The second customer service issue, it decreases again. How much? I don't know. And I can tell you it's greater than the first decrease. Mm-hmm. If you picture a line that's customer satisfaction line, and we're now dropping towards that line, that third instance, that gets you below the line. I don't know where you started. doesn't really matter. That third instance gets you below the line. This is what I used to teach in customer service. And guess what, folks? You could almost never get above the line again. You can bring it up closer to the line, but there's always that seat of doubt. Mm-hmm. And then I would ask people, I said, so how many strikes do you get? And I'll ask you. Well, uh, no, I mean, you, you mean strikes in that if it, I think if it's the same strike, I think especially these days, organizations are having such a hard time with a lot of issues like delivery issues and, you know, all kinds of things um, and staffing issues that I think if it's multiple challenges, it can be a forgivable instance. But I think if it's the same problem, you're sunk. You get two. Well, first of all, you got the right answer is two. I, I frankly disagree with you, whether it's the same or different. That third strike, you're out. Yeah. Which is why you get two. Because it's not third and then you get another chance. No, third, you're below that line and you're done. It's over. Right. So better get your bat on the ball to stay with the baseball analogy, you know, and keep it in play. Because otherwise, forget about it. And I think we're talking about, you know, one strike, you know, if you're, if you're late, or blow somebody off. So it depends on the severity. Sometimes it could be, you know, you get one strike, but you don't get that second strike. So that's like, right. So So do you think though, that if you get one strike and your service people or you, whatever, handle it really well. So say it's a late delivery or a back order or something that they didn't know about when they ordered it. And then they find out a week later and your team handles it beautifully. They make sure that they overnight it and it gets to them. Um, you know, and they, with great apologies and all that stuff, you don't, oh, no, I'm with you now. Yeah. Another situation. You're like, oh, look happened again. They'll probably handle it beautifully, but this is super inconvenient. And we live in a highly competitive. Most industries are highly competitive these days. And if your service isn't on, yeah, you're right. You're right. I was I'm wrong. Could, didn't, didn't quite hear that. I got the vacuum cleaner in the background. Could you say that one you're, more time? <coughs> you're, <laughs> no, you're right, though. Um, I think you're right. If if things keep happening, it's just too easy to go across the street. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and yes, you feel good that they handled it well, and you don't want to have yeah. them have to handle it well. Right. right. We want what yeah. we want when we want it. And it's too easy to get what we want when we want it now to, uh, to be I, forgiving. I, I hope so. I'm actually going through this with my bank. Oh yeah. L- literally today. It's like, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a bank that I've been with for almost 35 years. Wow. That reputation has always been one of outstanding customer service, but over the last 10 years, and, and I, I say it's no fault of theirs. There are outside influences, and I think they could change the outside influence, meaning banking regulations and making it more and more difficult for them to give the level of service that they used to. 
because they have to treat everybody the same, right? They have to be, and that's all federal regulation. But I, I believe that they can handle this much better, that they're, they're taking the easy road to developing policies to keep the regulators off their backs, but are going to move customers and clients you know, like me out the door. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. Well, yeah. listen, I, I think this has been great. Um, I made a mistake earlier. I didn't notice what time we started. So I have no idea if we're long, short, or perfectly on time, but I think we've pretty much covered this one. What do you think? I think we've told all the jokes that, that are worth telling. So I think we're good. There's probably a few more, but I just can't think of any. Well, I said worth telling, so <laughs> there's plenty more. <laughs> Fair enough. Then uh, great show as always, Anne, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you fail to decide them.